Welcome to the Virtual Yurt. Yurt. I'm Irina Kirina, and today I'm co-hosting the Chart in the Yurt podcast with Jos Bonstra. Together, we will keep you company through our monthly chat in the Yurt with a conversation on Europe, Central Asia developments. Chat in the Yurt is a podcast of the EU camp program of the Center for European Security Studies in the Netherlands. Today on our podcast, we have a special focus on Central Asia's strategic autonomy. And joining us in our virtual yurt is Nargis Kasyanova, a senior fellow and director of the program on Central Asia at the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. Welcome, Nargis. Thank you very much, Yelena. And uh, thank you very much, Yours. It's great to be in the yurt with you. Yeah. Welcome, and uh, it's great to see you and to hear you, Nargis, and uh, also to read you. Uh, we've enjoyed a lot uh, reading your publication, in which you explain uh, the concept of uh, strategic autonomy and what this might uh, mean for Central Asia and uh, how Europe maybe can play a, a role in this. So if you allow me, let me start with the first question. How should we understand the concept of strategic autonomy and what would this look like uh, in the case of Central Asia? Well, uh, for Central Asians, um, strategic autonomy is a new concept and I'm trying kind of to introduce it into uh, the regional the regional discourses, but for, uh, for Europeans, it's uh, not a new concept um, at all. And uh, it's been the concept guiding EU policymaking, and uh, I think for the first time we saw it in, or you saw it, um, in the uh, European Council conclusions uh, adopted in 2013, and uh, there the strategic autonomy was defined as uh, capacity to act autonomously to safeguard uh, EU interests, uphold uh, values and way of life, and help shape the global future. Uh, so, um, I see it as a combination of greater uh, self-reliance and uh, uh, power projection. Um, of course, Central Asia is not is not European Union. Um, it's an emerging region. It's a, um, in political terms, it is a new region, uh, and uh, it's much less cohesive than the EU. You know, the, the economic uh, kind of capacity is very different. But uh, but nevertheless, I think that uh, the concept can be useful for us uh, Central Asians as well. Uh, and uh, the uh, kind of the challenges that the concept implies, the solution uh, the concept implies, I think they, they are uh, quite pertinent and useful uh, for uh, for for the region um, as well, and uh, I would say for um, Central Asia, that would mean more cohesion. So um, the five Central Asian states can work together in a productive way and uh, be kind of more cohesive, uh, coordinate better, and that will help them to uh, withstand malevolent. Uh, pressures from from outside, manipulations from outside, and so on. So, um, so, so I see it along these lines. Hmm. I was just wondering, considering the current geopolitical landscape, because you mentioned that Central Asia has to withstand a lot of challenges, 
and with current Russia's actions in Ukraine and China's influence on Central Asia. Um, do you view this as a positive or negative for cooperation in the region? I would say it's a mix. Um, as uh, it's a bit too cliche to say that, but that that crisis uh, contains an opportunity uh, uh, in itself. So um, I see this geopolitical crisis as as an opportunity for Central Asia, uh, as uh, a factor that can mobilize uh, mobilize Central Asians to actually move forward with the regional cooperation cooperation agenda. Um, but at the same time, of course. Of course, it is a crisis, and uh, the uh, uh, there are certain risks uh, that uh, uh, that we are facing in uh, in the current situation, obviously. But if we focus on the brighter side, um, yeah, what's the progress like? Uh, could be in terms of regional cooperation in Central Asia. What could be the advantages? The good thing is that we are seeing some prog progress already, and that's something that I try to outline outline in the paper. As I already mentioned, Central Asia is a fairly new region in political terms. Uh, we appeared on the political map of the world in 1991, at the end of 1991. Uh, and uh, since then, uh, we've seen both centripetal and centrifugal trends. Um, it makes sense. It made sense. It makes sense uh, for the countries of the region to stick together, to work on uh, shared problems together, and so on and so forth. But at the same time, um, especially in the early 1990s, there was a big push for more self-sufficiency. And uh, uh, there were many attempts to, well, there was kind of, I would say, uh, the main incentive was to lessen vulnerabilities um, inside the inside these countries. So the, the, our first attempt to create a cooperative project, um, Central Asian Union, in the mid 1990s, it failed. Uh, by the end of the 90s, it was clear that that uh, it didn't work. And uh, since, and I would say the centrifugal trend has been dominant uh, until recently. And we have a new trend, good trend, um, starting from uh, 2017, when there was a change of leadership in Tashkent. Uh, and the new president, President Mirziyoyev, he uh, he pushed for regional cooperation. And we know, our followers of Central Asia know how important and central Uzbekistan is. Uh, physically, it is central. And it is the biggest, uh, biggest country, and uh, it's very important that Uzbekistan gets along uh, with with its neighbors. So that's something that we've been seeing over the past over the past years, and we've had uh, five consultative, consultative meetings of heads of states. This year it was the fifth one in Dushanbe. Uh, the the dynamic is there. Um, definitely, the dynamic is there. Uh, but the new the the new geopolitical situation gives, uh, I would say, gives a boost, um, boost to these efforts, because there is a sense of the crisis, there is a sense of growing vulnerability, uh, and that pushes uh, pushes the leaders to kind of to pursue this cooperation, regional cooperation path. 
if I may ask a little bit further about this, if, if we compare Central Asia to Europe, one could say that European integration always was driven by France and Germany uh, together. One could maybe say in Central Asia that would need uh, Kazakhstan and uh, Uzbekistan together. How are the relations evolving between these two powerhouses in Central Asia? Exactly, exactly. Um, I see parallels um, as well. In Europe, it is Germany and France, two biggest economies. Uh, in Central Asia, it is Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan that are the biggest economies that can serve as uh, um, the economic locomotives of, uh, of, well, let's say cooperation, maybe integration uh, in the future, but they can also kind of serve as this axis uh, for building more cohesion, uh, cohesion in the region. Uh, and fortunately, uh, the leadership in Tashkent and the leadership of Astana are on the same page uh, on the same page in this regard. And we do see growing cooperation, growing coordination, um, and, and so on. And um, I also think that the timing is good because in the early 90s, although our, our economies were so interdependent, so connected with each other, uh, there was too much vulnerability, and it made sense for the, the countries of the region to, to kind of push for more self-sufficiency. Now, after 30, 30 years of state building, uh, our economies are more consolidated, uh, the states are more secure. Uh, so I think we've achieved that point of equilibrium. Uh, between self-sufficiency and interdependence. So I think now more is possible. On the one, or, 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 because we are less less interdependent and you know kind of tightly connected than before. Because I've heard in the past often that leaders were uh, a little bit insecure to and afraid to give too much away in cooperation with neighbors and. Has that changed now? Do you think that the leaders are more comfortable uh, working together? I th I think so. I think there is more security. Um, there is more security in each state because well, the, the main institutions are built and uh, um, well, there is a power vertical and uh, the, the vulnerabilities are not across the board the way they, they used to be in the early 1990s. Everything was fragile. Everything is under construction. So uh, now you have something. You have you have five states um, with imperfections, deficiencies, and, and so on, but 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 they can actually, these are entities that can work together with each other and they can try develop uh, develop these uh, new arrangements. Um, that are based on trust. Uh, maybe to also look at it a little bit more geopolitical. Um, is there also a link to becoming less dependent on Russian mechanisms of regional cooperation, CSTO uh, and the Eurasian Union? Uh, and maybe also to yeah, to defend yourself uh, with five countries or have a stronger position uh, versus China? Is that also something that could help countries work together? 
I think it's uh, well. It's definitely the uh, definitely the security factor is there uh, with the Russia's war in Ukraine. Um, it's less clear whether Russia can can continue to play the role of a regional security provider because uh, the war saps all the resources. Uh, and we saw what happened in Nagorno-Karabakh. Um, well, it, it seems it was a combination of uh, lower capacity to do anything and also um, the absence of will to do anything, right? To protect, uh, to protect uh, the ally um, Armenia. Um, so, so I think such relations are less sure what Russia wants to do, what Russia uh, can do in the region. Uh, and that pushes them to work on their own security problems, uh, you know, by themselves, basically. And that's a very good thing. I think, uh, I think we need to resolve uh, our issues. Uh, that's the best way to, uh, the best way to uh, proceed. Like it was centuries ago before joining the Russian Empire. <laughs> in a way yeah <laughs> i don't know if it's a good parallel but uh, uh but definitely you know being sovereign that means you you need to do more things yourself rather than rely on the uh, former metropole maybe uh, if we look a little bit uh, towards europe because you mentioned europe could could serve as an example, uh, but also that Europe could maybe help a little bit in uh, bringing about this regional cooperation. This is, of course, something that Europe has always wanted to do, to, yes. uh, to export its own model or its own story of, of integration. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, first, I want to emphasize again that I think that uh, Central Asia should be in the driving seat. It should be a Central Asia project because uh, I think it will be funny to pursue a strategic autonomy project, uh, you know, you know, with the help of Europeans, Americans, or what what not. With a little help, that that's fine, but it should be, you know, kind of the inspiration can come from outside, but you should be inspired, right? So these are the countries of the region that should be inspired by, by the cooperation integration project, what, whatnot. Um, the EU definitely is a shining example, uh, the best example. Uh, and um, I don't think we can copy what the EU did, but, but uh, I think my uh, what I'm trying to um, to say in the paper is that we definitely can be inspired by what uh, both the EU did and learn from some of the experiences that the EU had. And uh, um, in the paper, I talk about the nucleus of the European uh, integration, the steel and coal community, and that we can look at that, get inspired by that, and create our own nucleus for. Uh, Central Asian cooperation integration. I'm a little bit, you know, hesitant to use the word integration because I think we are quite far from that. 
Uh, but um, moving toward more cohesion in the region, that's the right way to go. And maybe ideally some sometime down the line, you know, in the uh, in the bright future, we can we can also speak about the integration. But um, but if we start uh, and uh, if we start by building a nucleus rather than pursuing ambitious, um, you know, cooperation integration projects across the board, from you know military security to uh, to to other things. You know, uh, the way we did in the mid 1990s, I think we might have a better chance of a chance of success. And if for Europe, uh, it made a lot of sense to combine steel and coal as the two strategic commodities. For Central Asia, I think the most strategic. Um, the most strategic commodities, the most kind of strategic items, uh, if I can use this this term, are water and energy. So if we can build something around that, and it made a lot of sense, and that's something that that many people recognize. That's something that uh, the EU has been saying. It's something that uh, other international organizations were saying. You know, water. We need to kind of. It's the best way to manage water in Central Asia to do it jointly. Um, and with energy also, we hear uh, similar discourses now that uh, that uh, to uh, to pursue a successful energy transition in Central Asia, the most optimal way would be to combine the resources. So to combine what we have, to combine hydropower, to combine gas, to combine uh, combine new renewable energy sources like wind and solar so it can work as one one complex regional complex and we can um the resources that the five countries have can balance off each other quite nicely and this way this energy transition moving from the fossil based energy to new sources cleaner sources of energy uh, would be easier more fi- more feasible and uh, not only that, not only we can provide for our for our own energy security, but actually um, we can export electricity, and that will help with the development of the region, with the well-being of uh, Central Asians, and so on. So it is a um, I see it as a political project. I think coal and steel uh, community was a political project, and I think it would be useful if Central Asians start thinking along these lines as well if they have a vision if they kind of know what they can aspire to and uh, develop develop ways of getting there so it's not just about efficient distribution i think efficient distribution water management these are great things but but i think we kind of we can do it even better and um and it's always good to Kind of to have a vision in mind, so you can um, you can assess cost and benefits, cost and benefits uh, better, and uh, you can inspire people to um, maybe experience certain difficulties now. But if they know that you, they are moving to something better, it's easier to mm-hmm. uh, to pay the costs now. Oh yeah, I mean I couldn't agree more because drawing. Um... Uh, some of our recent podcasts, when we talk to some experts on climate change and water resources, there is a clear need on cooperation 
in terms of energy transition. Uh, even though not everyone in Central Asia understands that, but we all are in the same boat as a landlocked region. Um, the problem of water short shortage is increasing, you can say, every day, every month. Yes, water shortage uh, that is due primarily to the inefficient use of water. But of course, there is also a climate change and, you know, all these challenges uh, taken together. And um, and these changes, unfortunately, are happening at the at the faster pace than, uh, than we envisioned before. So uh, problems are looming. Big problems are looming and we need to, to move fast. And I think that's that's the... Uh, that's a big concern, whether we can move as fast as we should in the region. Because, yeah, we also learned in the most recent podcast that most of the Central Asian countries have a climate or a, uh, an energy transition uh, mm -hmm. program in place. Do you think that there might be some cooperation also in placing these national programs next to each other and that countries start looking how they can be complementary uh, to each other? Yes, definitely. Well, uh, we do have, for climate change, we do have uh, pre-ambitious uh, nationally determined contributions and NDCs. Uh, all five Central Asian uh, Central Asian countries, I would, I would say, Kazakhstan is the most uh, most ambitious, and President Takayev said that we need to decarbonize by 20, uh, 2060. So it, that's a good thing, that all five countries are on board to this or that extent with the energy with the energy transition agenda. Um, but uh, but definitely uh, there is room for for better coordination um, of of these efforts. And while we are recording this podcast, uh, I understand that there is, of course, the UN Climate Change Conference yes. uh, trying to hammer out uh, a final agreement. Um, I've also already saw this morning that Turkmenistan has taken a rather positive uh, stance in that. Uh, Which is great. On Yeah, with the methane pledge, that's something that is such good news for, uh, for the region and for the world, because Turkmenistan Turkmenistan emits a lot of methane. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm, I, I couldn't be happier about uh, them making a pledge, but now, of course, some practical steps need to be taken. Kazakhstan also took a, took a pledge. Um, so the countries are active in this conference, in this global process. Uh... Yes, and you mentioned cooperation at the beginning of your, uh, of your question. Uh, there is a discussion on uh, creating a water and energy corporation. That's something that uh, that Kazakhstan proposed um, under the umbrella of uh, IFS, uh, International Fund for the Salvation of the uh, of the RLC. Um, so let's see let's see how that goes. Uh, and uh, um, well, IFES is very important for for Central Asia and for the efforts to. Uh, to manage manage water, now it is undergoing a reform, and uh, one idea is to put energy under under IFAS to combine water and energy. Uh, it's a little bit different from the scheme that I'm proposing uh, proposing in the paper, but um, but let's see. I'm not you know kind of the, the 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 biggest authority on it. Let's let's see how to organize it. No, I don't think anybody has like a proper you know perfect perfect blueprint. 
Um, but there are movement in this direction. It seems to me that it's better to uh, not to pu put the um, um, a new agency dealing with what the energy nexus under IFS. Uh, it seems to me it would be more effective uh, to create a new agency. And that's something that I'm trying to outline in the paper. And once again, I'm not a practitioner. That's, uh, that's something I'm putting on the table. But of course, that's up to policymakers and professionals to uh, to decide whether it makes sense, not makes sense. Um, it seems to me it's better to create something new from scratch. I think in Central Asian contexts, in my experience, things that are created from scratch are more agile, you know, they kind of they, they work better, they're more effective, efficient, and so on. Uh, it's easier to do a new project rather than try to reform a big, uh, a big thing that uh, uh, that has legacies and you know, kind of it's consolidated in its ways and uh, and 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 so so on. So um, so in the paper, I propose uh, uh, a creation of uh, the well Central Asian. Um, what and energy community and to have kind of consisting of the political body, the council of ministers, and then the mm -hmm. commission. Uh, and uh, the commission would uh, help to uh, to collect data, to plan uh, to plan uh, new projects focusing on transboundary projects, and it would also um, possibly do certification of projects and kind of serve as this channel between international funding and projects uh, projects in the region. So kind of triangulate the, um, or maybe it's not even a triangle, maybe it's a rectangle, but but connecting the international, uh, international funding, private investors, um, governments in the region, uh, and uh, well, basically projects on the well, to, maybe to look at one uh, angle of this triangle, uh, which could be the European Union and this Team Europe Global Gateway Plan that it has developed on water and energy and climate change, and uh, that it wants to uh, work with, with Central Asian countries. And our feeling so far was that, uh, well, the EU is not completely clear yet what to put its cards on because it's, of course, an enormously broad uh, issue, especially if you take up climate. I could imagine that something that you propose uh, would help also the EU to see where to invest, that it would, as you said before, Central Asian leaderships that could uh, be in the driver's seat uh, and help Europe with these things. How do you see these sort of... Uh, yes, I think it is, and the, uh, the ball is in the... Um, in the court of uh, Central Asians, Central Asian governments, um, they need to uh, decide what they want and how they see it. Let's see how the IFS reform uh, proceeds. Uh, Kazakhstan assumed assumed uh, the chair position uh, in the organization. I think for three years, starting from January, uh, well, January twenty twenty four. Uh, it has some ideas. Uh, it will be pushing the agenda. It will not be easy, but uh, but hopefully we can uh, we can move forward. Uh, and depending on uh, what Central Asians decide, I think the others can also orient uh, orient themselves and you know where to assist, how to assist uh, uh, 
um, and so on. I think it's just so important that that uh, these are central Asians who actually um, decide on the on the goals and on the ways how to proceed. If they need help, they they should ask for help. But uh, but they should be in the um, in the driving um, in the driving seat. And the EU has been helping. Um, there have been a good amount of money allocated for helping Central Asians to manage water. Uh, and, uh, well, now there is uh, also an attempt to help with energy. The Americans also um, have been helping. Um, the, US, the USAID has a very nice Power Central Asia project uh, that has been quite, quite uh, effective and efficient, I would say. Um, so, so the resources, external resources, are there that uh, Central Asians can draw on. But the main challenge now is to actually, uh, you know, pull ourselves together and try to push, uh, try to push this agenda. Um, there were expectations that the IFS reform would be completed by the end of this year, but unfortunately, it didn't happen, as we found out during the uh, during the summit in Dushanbe. Um, but well, I, I remain hopeful, and I think that uh, definitely uh, in Astana we see a very ambitious agenda in this regard. Uh, Tashkent is on board, and uh, um, and Tashkent is extremely interested in the um, in the good resolution of water management, uh, water management issues. Water shortages are so important for all of us, but. Uh, for for Uzbekistan's agricultural sector, that's incredibly incredibly important. And now there is this additional problem of uh, um, of the well, increasing uh, takeaway of water in Afghanistan. Uh, the Taliban government has been building the new canal, the Koshtepa Canal, that is diverting water from the the Amudarya uh, River, and that's a big issue from from neighboring for neighboring Central Asian states. Uh, for Uzbekistan, for Turkmenistan, for Tajikistan, uh, and uh, President Merziyoyev proposed bringing uh, bringing Afghanistan on board uh, for you know for discussing uh, discussing water management issues. Yeah, let's let's be hopeful that uh, the Central Asian countries have enough willpower as well as human resources to fulfill this ambition. Yeah, I guess now it's. It's the turn of the countries to take the lead in this regard. And uh, to shift the gears a little bit, uh, we're also curious about CAPSLOG, so the think tank where your paper was published. Could you please tell us a bit more about uh, CAPSLOG as the new think tank in Kazakhstan? Thank, thank you, Elena. Uh, so Kapsan Log is a new Almaty-based um, Central Asia-focused think tank, and actually Central Asia is in the name. CAP stands for Central Asian Policy Policy Studies. Uh, it is a new organization, not so new in a sense that it is a spin-off of the Soros Foundation Kazakhstan um, that was first established in the early uh, 1990s. Uh, and uh, its mission is to provide high quality research and policy solutions for challenges that the uh, Central Asia uh, faces. Uh, so it, it is a spin-off of Soros Foundation Kazakhstan, and it has some of the DNA of, uh, of Soros Foundation Kazakhstan. Uh, it 
uh, calls itself a think and do tank. So it's not just a think tank, but a think tank that is trying to kind of push the agenda and uh, uh, to be embedded in, you know, kind of in the realities on the ground and um, and also support support other actors um, in the in the field. So uh, there will be some apart from the original research. Uh, it also wants to serve as a, as a hub for for discussions, uh, and it uh, it is planning to um, re- have some regrant capacity to support uh, uh, support kind of initiatives that test policy proposals. Uh, in the region, so it's kind of a new beast uh, uh, in you know in the scene of think tanks um, in in the and region. it's again Central Asia that's in the driving seat and uh, taking initiative, and that is good to uh, also see uh, yes. think tanks. Yeah. Yes, and uh, it has uh, well the director, the executive director is Aida Darkolova, uh, who was the executive. Uh, Director, I don't remember the exact title, but she was uh, the head of uh, Soros Foundation Kazakhstan prior to the transformation, and it has a a board, um, a governing board, uh, with the representatives from from four Central Asian states. Uh, there is no Turkmen representative, but but the, the other the other countries are are represented, and these are uh, social scientists, uh, these are journalists. Uh, uh, well, economists and, and 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 so on. So um, so definitely, you know, these are Central Asians who would decide uh, decide on the agenda and on the ways uh, on the ways to move forward. At the moment, there are three uh, clusters that the think tank will focus on. Uh, one is uh, has to do with geopolitics. I. Uh, and it will be looking at international actors and Central Asia. And my policy memo is in line is in line with that. Uh, the second class is social and economic justice, and the third one is rule of law, digital democracy, and expression. Sounds interesting, and uh, sounds like an interesting partner, of course, for us as well. And uh, we are in touch with Aida, so uh, that's good to hear. Oh, definitely, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, and perhaps it's time to wrap up the things. Um, since this is the season to be merry, and as we are looking ahead to 2024, what issues do you believe we should keep an eye uh, on Central Asia? Well, I will be, um, I guess, a bit biased. Um, I will put the issues that I'm thinking about, but I think they are very important issues for the country. I already mentioned the IFAS uh, reform. I think it will be important to um, uh, to see some progress. Uh, to see some progress uh, there. Um, I will also look at uh, what's happening with the border dispute uh, between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. It seems that the, the, we've seen some progress. I hope we will not see uh, a repeat of armed clashes this summer. I, and um, I will be watching what's happening with the development of the middle corridor connecting Central Asia, South Caucasus, and further Europe. Um, I would probably 
focus on uh, on these three issues. And let's happen what happens with the methane pledge. <laughs> That's important. Bond point. Good. No, that that sounds really uh, excellent. And uh, I yeah I, I cannot uh, more agree. And this border dispute is uh, an enormous challenge. But indeed, you mentioned also some very positive uh, developments with the middle corridor and reform. So let's see it uh, if it will be a positive year for Central Asia and. Uh, Let's also conclude uh, with that. Uh, Yelena, do you have anything to add? Uh, well, I can only say thank you so much, Nargis, for joining in, for sharing your expertise on Central Asia and for giving us an outlook for the next year. And I think it's time to say goodbye. Ayos, what do you think? Yeah, let's, uh, let's do that. Uh, so to our listeners, please feel free to join in the conversation by posting your questions and thoughts on social media channels. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Wishing you all ready a very joyful holiday season and hope to have you on board next time. And best wishes to you too and to Yuka. Thank you.